Why don't you open up your Bibles or electronic devices to Matthew chapter 27, uh, starting in verse 32. And so we are looking at the cross. So traditionally, out of the church calendar, uh, the Easter, the, the weekend prior to Easter, uh, you look at the cross, and then on Easter, you look at the resurrection. So next week, uh, we're going to look at the, the statement that Jesus made, the I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life. And so that's what we're going to look at next week. But this week, we're going to look at the cross. I've entitled this message, The Church at the Cross, because when you look at the, the scene of the cross and the people that were gathered there, it was really like, it was really like a worship service to where Jesus drew people to, to himself. Jesus was there, obviously. People were there for all different reasons and, and circumstances. And so, so I want to talk about that, but I, I, I want you to get some of the backstory. And so I decided late. These words aren't going to come up on your screen, but just listen to them. I'm going to read you the entire story out of, out, of, out of Matthew chapter 27, verse 32, and then following. And then we'll back up and we'll look at the Church of the Cross because I think there's some things that we can relate to as, as a church as well. Well, and so here's what the scripture says, talking about the crucifixion. As they were going out, they found a man from Cyrene named Simon. They forced him to carry the cross. And when they came to the place of Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. After crucifying him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. They sat down and were guarding him there. Above his head, they put up the, the charge against him in writing, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two cr criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross in the same way the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him and said, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and then we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he takes pleasure in him, for he said, I am the son of God, in the same way even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him from noon until three in the afternoon. And just, just real quickly, I just cannot pass by that with just explaining this to you. It's very important that Jesus died exactly at three in the afternoon on Friday. Because what was going on in the temple, see, there was the start of Passover. The start of Passover, in the temple, they would, they would sacrifice the sacrificial lamb exactly at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And Jesus Christ died on the cross at 3 in the afternoon to say, I am the sacrificial lamb. I am the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. And so he goes on. And so he says, darkness came over the whole land about 3 in the afternoon. Jesus cried with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge filled with sour wine and put it on a stick and offered him a drink. The rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried out with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked. The rocks were split. The tombs were also open. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out from the tombs, tomb after the resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, Truly this man was a son of, of God. And many women who had followed from, from Gal Jesus from Galilee 
and looked after him there were watching from a distance. And among them were Mary Magdalene, mother, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. This morning, I want to talk to you about this scene. I want to talk to you about this, this group of people that gathered around the cross. The church of the cross is what I'm calling it. Looks a lot like a church services that we have today. And so when you look at this, people came from, for all different reasons, people came from different geographical locations, different spiritual backgrounds, different economic issues, different perspectives, different things that they were bringing. And when you look at this, they came to, to witness the terrifying public exec execution. There were two criminals that hung on each side of Jesus, one on the right and one on the left, and they deserved death. And Jesus Christ was crucified, the one who did not deserve death. And for many people, it was their first encounter with Jesus Christ there around the cross. And when you look at Josephus and some of the other historians of the day, they would literally tell you there was well over a million people that witnessed this scene in Jerusalem. Why? Because they were there for the crucifixion, uh, for, 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 for the Passover. And so this morning, I want to ask and answer just three quick questions for you this morning. Is who was there? Uh, why did they go there? And then what did they get for being there? And I want you to understand the cross. And I want you to understand the crucifixion. I want you to understand what Jesus Christ did for us because I, I have concerns as, as, as a pastor that it seems like as the lawless of many will, uh, will, will increase, the love of many will grow cold. And I'm watching this. I am watching people lose their passion for church. I'm watching people lose their passion for, for Jesus Christ and for following him. And I think it's good that we remind ourselves of the crucifixion and what it meant for us and what it means for us. So the first question is this, is just simply who was there. So when I look at this story and I back through this story, I realized and I came up with and identified seven different groups of people were there this morning. There was one group, the first group, there's an interesting group, that, that those came there by force. There were some that was forced to be there. Verse 32, here's what the scripture says. And as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, they compelled this man to carry the cross. So this man, Simon, had to carry the cross, and he was at, he was at the crucifixion not because of his own decision. He was at the crucifixion because the Roman soldiers, a group of people, forced him to, to be there. And here's the crazy thing about that. There may be some of you here this morning, and guess what? You would say, that's me. I am forced to be here. In other words, my mom forced me to be here. My dad forced me to be here. It was either my wife or my husband has finally guilted me into coming or they forced me to be here. Maybe it's an employee. Maybe it's somebody like that. And you would say, you know what? That's me. That's me. I am being forced to be here. Well, I want you to tell you good news. Even if you're forced to be here, your life matters to God. And when you look at this man, Simon, he was forced to go to the cross, and you realize that his life was changed, and he met Christ. His life was changed. I mean, I, I've talked to plenty of parents that have told me that, you know what? For our kids, we don't want to force them to go to church. Because if we force them to go to church, we don't want them to grow up to hate God and hate church. And I hear that testimony all the time. And like for our kids, we need them to decide that for themselves. But I'm telling you, for every one testimony that I hear of an adult person that said, you know what, I was forced to go to church to, to I was forced to go to church all of my life growing up, and as a result of that, I hate church and I never want to go back to church. I can give you one to twenty. I can give you one to twenty testimonies, twenty testimonies to, to each one of those testimonies where people would say, I am so thankful mom and dad forced me to go to church. I am so thankful. 
that they forced me to go to church, that my spiritual life meant something to them. And even if, listen, even if you were forced to come, you are welcomed here. We are thankful that you are here, and your life can be changed. Because when you look at this, you realize that all of those at the cross, when their life intersected with Jesus, Jesus changed their life. Here's another group of people. There were some that just simply came to sit and watch. There was another group of people that just came to sit and watch. Look at this, verse 36. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. Now, that's interesting to me. They didn't come to watch the criminals, right? Who did they come to watch? Jesus. Jesus is nailed to a cross. Where's he going to go? I mean, what, what, is, what is he going to do? What are they expecting him to do? So there's a group of people that just came to sit and watch. They were, they were spectators. They never had an intention to connect with God. They never had an intention to connect with the, the, the church. They were just, you know what? For us, we're just going to sit. We're just going to sit and watch. And if you're here this morning and say, you know what? That's me. I'm, I'm here just to sit and watch. Your life matters. Your life matters deeply to God. And then there was a group of people that were, they, they were convicted sinners. You look at this in, in verse 38. The scripture just says, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And so these two robbers were, their crime was public. Their sin was public. Everybody, listen, everybody knew what they had done. And so this is what the Romans would do in their day is what they would do is they would crucify people publicly to help people understand if you do the crime, you do the time, right? Uh, if, you, if you do this, you're going to be put to death. And so this is one of the things that they would do. And so when, you, when you, look at, you, you look at these guys and you realize that everybody knew their sin. I mean, their sin was public. They had blown it big time. You may be here this morning. You know what you say? My sin, I've blown it big time. Everybody knows what I've done. Everybody in, this, everybody in my family, everybody in my community, everybody knows what I've done. I never will forget. I can never look at this text without forgetting this man, um, a friend of mine who became a friend of mine in our community. It was many, many years ago, and, and he had done a crime, and it was pretty public. And I mean, it was you know back in the days when people read The Chieftain. It was all through The Chieftain, and, and so every, everybody knew what this man had done. And it was public. And so my life intersected with this man actually started when he was in jail. And so my life intersected with this man's life. And I'm like, you know what? You, you just need church. You just need Jesus. And I talked to him a lot about it. And he says, well, you don't understand. If I step in your church, everybody's going to know who I am. And everybody's going to know what I've done. And they're going to judge me. I says, you know what? We are not going to judge you. Because there's nobody in our church that's perfect, right? Not, not one of us perfect, right? If you're here this morning and you think you're perfect, stand up. We all need to see what denial looks like, right? <laughs> we'll help you. We've got counselors. We will help you. And so uh, this man finally, listen, this man finally came to church, and I will never forget it. I happened to be standing right inside the worship service. He walked in those two doors, and so he looked around, and he said something to me, and I'll clean it up for church language uh, because it was like before, I mean, it was before he like really met Christ. And so he stepped in, and he looked around, and he says, he says Pastor, he said, do you realize, I, he said, I've just looked around. You've got some of the biggest troublemakers in town in your church. <laughs> He used different words, by the way. And so I'm like, I'm like, well, you need Jesus. And so, uh, no, I didn't. And so, so he says, you know what? I feel, I feel right at home here. I, listen, there is not one of us in this place that are perfect. And even if you have blown, your you, you have blown it in your life and you have blown it big time and you think everybody knows, guess what? Let me tell you, just like the thief on the cross, your life still matters to God and your life can be changed. Here's another group. Uh, there was a group that were religious fakes. 
Now, when you look at religious fakes, religious people have an appearance of God, but no power in their life. And so verse 41, he says, so also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, and so when you look at this, you look at this, you realize that the religious fakes was a group of people that Jesus had the strongest words for. And even the apostle Paul had the strongest words for in church. I mean, you can go through 1 Corinthians. You can go through 2 Corinthians. I mean, it's like, it's like strong language. And so when you look at this, you realize that there are some religious people that are so full of condemnation, so full of condemnation maybe of somebody else's life or somebody else's decisions or how they're leading or whatever, that it's so full of condemnation. Do not let it discourage you when you come across people and they claim to have the power of God in their life. They give an appearance of godliness, but they're full of condemnation for others. They were around in Jesus' time, and they're around in this church as well. Here's another group of people. There was a group of people that, that watched from a distance. There was a group of people that just simply watched from a distance. Verse 55, it says, there are also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to them, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and, and, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When you look at these women that they're referring to, at one time they followed Jesus during great times. And they watched him do miracles, and they watched him preach, and they watched him teach, and, and they followed him in good times, and then when things got difficult, they backed away. And they're no longer following him closely. They are following him at a distance. And maybe that's where you find yourself at. Maybe you would say, you know, there was a time when I followed him closely. When I, when I served or when I was in ministry or when I did this, I was a part of this. And something happened. And all of a sudden, I moved from following him closely to following him from a distance. I want you to know this morning that your life matters to God. And then all of a sudden, you see this last group. And they, those were at the foot of the cross. John 19, 26 says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which was, which was, which, which was John, uh, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her, took her to his own home. When you look at this, John was the only disciple that died of, of natural causes. And John and Mary went all the way to the foot of the cross. And that is the greatest number of people, why people gather and worship him, is because out of their love for Jesus. They didn't come to hurl insults. They didn't come to, to give condemnation. They're not religious fakes. They weren't following him from a distance. They, they came out of sincere love and de devotion for him. So the next question is this. Well, you have to ask yourself, well, well, why were they there? Not only who was there and what groups were there, well, I mean, why, why were they there? I mean, what draws people to church? What drew people to the cross? What draws people to Jesus? In, in, and uh, so I can, I can find five reasons in this text about, about why they were there. Uh, the first group came out of curiosity. There was a group that was just kind of curious. I mean, they just came out of curiosity. Remember, there's over a million people that were around the cross because of the Passover. And so the Romans would do this, again, to speak terror into a country or terror into a, to a land and try to, try, to, uh, try to reduce the amount of crime to say, if, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. And so there are a lot of people that came out of curiosity. There are a lot of people that will go to an Easter service or a Christmas Eve service out of curiosity or maybe out of tradition or whatever. 
And so today, there are people that come out of curiosity where they see all the cars here. Or they, they see something on Facebook, or they see something on Instagram, they see something on Twitter, or they see one of our radio ads or something like that, and they come out of curiosity. But listen, even if you come out of curiosity, even if you come out of curiosity, even if you would consider yourself just a spiritual seeker and you're saying, you know what, I'm just coming to find out about the claims of Jesus, that if he is, listen, let me tell you something, your life matters to God. Your life just matters to God. And then you see another group of people, and they, they just came out of obligation. They came because they had to. When you look at the Roman soldiers, it's kind of interesting. They, they came because it was their job, right? I mean, they, they were like paid to be here. One of the, one of the interesting things for, for me uh, and, and through the seasons that, that we have gone through here is that um, is our, our, our paid uh, security people, our paid security guards, all of those that, that were not Christians prior to this, they have met Christ in this place, and we have baptized them in this place. I mean, and, and they came, and that's just such a cool story. I mean, we have, we have so many cool stories when people came to help, and they were obligated to come. And you look at the Roman soldiers, and, and, and they came because it was an obligation. They came because they had to. And, 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 uh, and they, the Roman soldier, one, we'll read about it later, met Christ. And he came out of obligation. Maybe you're coming out of obligation. Maybe you're coming out of obligation because it was a habit. Maybe you're coming out of obligation because you're raised in church and you just don't feel right not going to church. And, and you, just, you just come out of a religious thing. You just come out of habit. Well, guess what? Your life matters to God. Because when you look at this first story, you realize that there were those that were coming out of out of obligation, whether they're a Roman soldier or whether they're observing the Passover, it was an obligation why they were there. And yet you see that their lives were changed. And, and some of you may come out of a sense of guilt. You're just trying to get rid of some kind of guilt in, in your life. And, and you, you don't realize that God has come and he's given you peace and, 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 and given you that peace abundantly. And so you don't have to re rehearse your past mistakes over and over, your past sins over and over. That Jesus Christ wants to wipe your slate clean. He wants to give you a second chance. Colossians tells us that Christ bought our, brought, bought our freedom with his blood. And so his word actually tells us that he has canceled out our debt, he has canceled out our sin. And I just need you to know Romans 8.1 is like one of my favorite scriptures in, 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 in the Bible, and it says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why it's so difficult when religious people are condemning other Christians by their decisions, by their actions, and some of those other things. And so when you look at this, even if you come, even if you come out of obligation, even if you come out of guilt, your life matters deeply to God. And then some came and didn't know why. This is probably my most interesting group of people at the cross. Some came and, and they didn't know why. They were, they were just there at the cross, and guess what? Here at Fellowship of the Rockies, we have so many testimonies of people that would tell us uh, that they came and, and, and they didn't know why. One of my favorite questions, if I, if I meet you and when I meet you for the first time, is to ask you, well, how'd you find out about a church? Why'd you come? Because those, those answers are all, they're really important to me. I mean, one, your story is powerful. I just need you to know your story is powerful. What brought you to God? What brought you to church? Every, listen, everyone has a story, and every story is powerful. 
And so I always ask people, you know, well, why'd you come? And some tell me all kinds of stuff like, well, we, we started seeing something on Facebook. We saw a service. We, we started live streaming or we saw an ad or we saw a commercial or, or a friend invited us or we drove by. But then we have a group of people that would tell us, you know what? We, we don't really know why. I mean, we don't, we, don't really know, we don't really know what happened. One of my favorite stories is, I mean, this goes all the way back to 2000 and, uh, 2001, 2002, when, when we first moved into this facility. And in case you're new to Pueblo and you don't know, this used to be the, the Southside 4 uh, Cinema, the Southside 4 Theater. And so it's four screens, and, and, uh, and we bought it, we renovated it. Shortly after that, we had a family that came on a Saturday night, and so I, I asked them my question. I says, hey, what brought, you, what brought you here this weekend as they were leaving? And so uh, they says, well, crazy story. We thought we were coming to the movies. <laughs> they said, we literally thought we were coming to the movies. And so we pulled up. We saw all the cars. We came in, and then, uh, holy cow, we realized it was a church service. And so it was just too awkward to leave. It was just too awkward to leave. And so we stayed. And so then all of a sudden they got a little emotional. And they said, you're not going to believe this. We all met Christ. You know, they're still with us to this day. We ended up baptizing, we ended up baptizing them. We had another story. It's just, I, I just have so many. We, have, we had another story where, the, where it was on a Sunday. And so they said, yeah. I says, well, why'd you guys come? And they go, well, you're not going to believe this. And we're kind of embarrassed to say, but we, we didn't really choose your church. Uh, we were, we were going to go visit another great church in like our area. And they told me the church, like Church X. And so we're going um, to go visit that church. But we had a rough, meeting trying to, a rough morning trying to get the kids in the car and that whole deal. We pulled up in their parking lot. And we realized we were five minutes late for their church. And so, but then we realized, because we saw your sign, we realized we could be right on time at your church. So we chose your church. And so that's, that's why, we here, why we're here. And so I'm telling you, there was, there was a group of people that were there, um, and, and, and they didn't even know why they were there. And that may, be, that may be part of your story. See, that is one of our prayers. And I know in the word of encouragement, I referenced the story. But that is an important story to me. When Jacob struggled with God and he said, surely God is in this place and I didn't even know it. That is our prayer. That's one of our prayers that we pray for our church, that people would come and they would say, you know what? Surely God was in this place and I didn't even know it. And I felt his presence. I know he's there. There's a group of people, the largest group, that just came out of, came out of love and devotion. John and Mary came out of a devotion. They came out of their devotion, their love of Christ. And that's, that's the vast majority of people and why they come is because they are devoted to him and they love him and they worship him. The last, last question is, 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 is what did they get for being there? And what happened? I mean, this is, this is huge and this is, this, is, this is a powerful scene. I mean, Jesus, the, the Sunday prior to the Friday that he was crucified today is considered Palm Sunday. It's the day, it's a triumphal entry when Jesus left, and I've walked this walk, and I'm going to walk this walk in just a couple of weeks, and, and Jesus left the Mount of Olives, and he began coming down on the entry into Jerusalem, right? And by the way, the reason that's so significant, because what was going on in the, in, the, in the temple, is on that Sunday is Lamb Selection Day. They're in the temple, the priest, picking the sacrificial lamb for Friday at 3 o'clock. And Jesus was riding down and coming into the city of Jerusalem saying, I am, I am the sacrificial lamb. 
And Jerusalem rejected him, and, and there's scripture over that. And so, but, but the question is, is, is what did they get for being there? Well, just a few things. Some, some just received fear. Uh, verse 24 in Matthew, it says, in Matthew 27, verse 54, when the centurion and those who, who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake, what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. So this centurion that was forced to be there, he, it was part of his obligation, it was part of his job, he's there, and all of a sudden, he, wa- he watches Jesus, he watches Jesus in the way that he was crucified, that Jesus was basically being crucified, and he was for the sins of even those that were putting him to death, even those that had tortured him, even those that had beaten him, even those that had arrested him and, hang, and, and held the kangaroo courts and all of the other things, that Jesus was on the cross and he was even dying for those who were crucifying him. And something happened in this, this centurion's life and he came to the point, he put his faith in Christ and he said, truly this man is the son of God. And then, then some received just a sobering reality. Some received a sobering reality, and, and, and some realized that, well, some realized that God was in control of more than they thought. Man, this was, this was a big deal. I mean, Jesus was nailed to the cross at, at 9 a.m., the third hour, the sixth hour, which would be noon. All of a sudden, the world goes dark. And then from noon till 3 a.m., it's dark. And then at 3, a, or 3 p.m., and then 3 in, the even, 3 in the afternoon, he says it is finished and gives up his, his, his life. And he dies at the same time that the sacrificial lamb was being sacrificed over in the, in the, in the temple, saying, I am the sacrificial lamb. And all of a sudden, there was a sobering reality that God's in control and more than you think he is. Man, we worry so much, right? Especially in the times in which we live. We can worry about our health. We can worry about bills. We worry about the world. And, and there's plenty of people speaking all that kind of stuff into us, right? And making all kinds of predictions. And, and ratings are going up for cable news by, by, by putting more and more fear into you. And there's a group of people here that, that, that had this sobering reality. I mean, it just seems like to me every day there's, you know, every day there's something else that will kill you, right? Uh, you know, water is bad. The air is bad. And the fact is, I, I just read three or four days ago on the Internet, so you know it's true, right? <laughs> that now they've discovered that you shouldn't drink water out of these, you know, out of these plastic water bottles that you buy in cases or whatever. Because you can, you can squish them or whatever, and it breaks off pieces of plastic, and you're, you're actually not only drinking water, but you're ingesting pieces of plastic, and that'll kill you. And now they're literally spending money to do a study to see how many, bot- you know, how many thousands of bottles of water you're going to have to drink before it, it, it like, kills you. And so I, I've told you, I've told you, like, the story of, of the doctor putting me on the Mediterranean diet, and he says red meat is bad for you. And so I have a follow-up visit in six weeks, and he's going to ask me about my red meat intake, and I've already figured out how I'm going to take care of that. That You know what? If red meat is bad for me, I, I've solved it. I have just quit putting ketchup on my hamburgers. 
And so, uh, and I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell him that. I'm going to tell him, you know what? I no longer put ketchup on my hamburgers. My meat is no longer red. And so, and just, just see, just see, just see what he says. But, but you know what? I'm telling you, it seems like there's always something for us to worry about, right? And people putting fear into us. Remember Y2K? Remember that? Did we not live? Did our alarm clock not go off the next day at the right time? Did any airplanes fall out of the sky because as soon as it went to, you know, the new year, that all of a sudden the, 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 the computer programs are going to goof up and people... We lived, right? We lived. A lot of people had a sobering... Maybe you need a sobering reality right now. That guess what? Even though all the people that are stoking fear in our country... God is still in control. And God is in control in more stuff than you think he is. And so he is with us. And so, so then you look at this and you realize, well, some received a witness of love. Some just received a witness of love. And the cross revealed that the love that Jesus had for them, the way in which he died. I mean, how about, how about the thief on the cross? The thief on the cross was like hurling insults at him. And then all of a sudden, he had this sobering reality. He had this, he had this witness of love. And, and maybe this thief, all the, all the years of his life, he was always in the wrong place at the wrong time. And now for the first time in his life, he was in the right place at the right time. And he looked over at Jesus, and he said, hey, Jesus. He didn't even ask for heaven. He said, Jesus, would you just remember me in paradise? And what did Jesus, labor of love, what did Jesus say? remember you, you'll be with me. You'll, you'll be with me. You talk about forgiveness and you talk about love. Maybe that's what changed the centurion's mind. Maybe that's what changed some people that were gathered around the cross, just the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. But some received, some received a responsibility. When you look at John 19, you realize that, that John gave a responsibility to Mary. And all of a sudden, it was no longer sit and watch. It was get up and help, Right? Isn't that important? It is that important to all, to all of the moms and dads and parents out there that are like in, in Karen and I's stage of life to where we have, uh, we've raised our kids, we have five grandkids. And so for all of you that are like empty nesters, I hope you're like us, but when your kids come home, do they sit and watch or get up and help? They sit and watch, right? Isn't it crazy? They don't mind. I mean, it's like they revert back to childhood. They don't mind sitting and watching a mom and dad do the dishes, cook all the food, you know, prepare everything. They don't mind. And you just wanting them to say, you know what, just get up and help. Right? Just get up and help. But they're not there to get up and help. They're there, there to sit and watch. And there's a group of people that got too close to home. <laughs> it is for me. I'm just processing some stuff right now. Because I got Easter coming up and I got to cook. And so <laughs> there's a group of people at the cross that went from sitting and watching to getting up and helping, getting up and serving. And you realize that, that another group of people, the last group of people, just some just received eternal life. John 10, 17 and 18 says... For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my own life, that I may take it up again. 
No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Maybe that's what they witnessed. I just want to be really clear to you. Nobody took his life from him. Nobody forced him to go to the cross. Remember what Jesus said before he went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane? From the Garden of Gethsemane to his crucifixion was about 18 to 20 hours. And it was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Simon Peter whacked off a guy's ear. And remember when Jesus made that statement? I, I could have called 12 legions of angels down. That's huge. We, we have a story in the Old Testament with the Assyrians that, that one legion of angels wiped out all of the Assyrians. Twelve legions could have wiped out the whole planet. And Jesus says, I could have called enough angels down to wipe out the whole planet. I didn't have to do this. I don't, ha I don't have to do this. And John says he laid his life down willingly. Not because someone took his life from him. Not because someone forced him to the cross. But he laid his life down for you and for me. And some recognized that that day. And they, they accepted him and they pulled close to him. But it wasn't just being close. You have to be connected. There's a difference. Here a while back, I... Uh, my cell phone needed to be charged and, uh, and it was important that day that it was charged like any other day and I made a mistake I, I took the cord and I, I I I plugged it I plugged it in but I didn't push it all the way in I didn't, I didn't push it all the way in I just plugged it in and it got hung on, on the case and about four or five hours later I went to pick up my phone and it was like nothing happened and I looked at it, and then I realized, ah, it was close but not connected. The only way that you receive eternal life is not just by being close. It's being, by being connected to the Father. To where you come to the place and you accept his death, burial, and resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, for the forgiveness of your sins. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. You forgive me of my sins. You give me the gift of eternal life. I don't want to just be close. I want to be connected. And I want to be connected to the church, and I want to be connected to a body, and I want to be connected to Christians for my encouragement and my support. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?